Greetings, film fans. How do you do? Welcome in to another episode of the Second Day Film Podcast. It's the official podcast of the Second Day Film Club. It is Thursday, February 20th, 2020. Man, March is already approaching. Where the heck is this year going? I'm your host, Brandon Champion, joined by Michigan Man of the Year, Mike Nichols, who's probably wondering what the hell the Second Day Film Club is, but hey, he's here anyways. You doing good, buddy? I'm doing great, and I'd love to know more about what the what the club is. Yeah, well, it's, it's funny you should ask that, Mike. Tell uh, us about it. Yeah, well, it's been a while since we touched on this. Of course, we are <clears throat> called the Second Day Film Podcast, um, and that's because back in the day when we first started this thing, myself, Evan Dean, and Sam, the popcorn correspondent, we used to go to the theater on Tuesday, because here in Grand Rapids... Uh, the main chain of theaters. Tickets are cheap on Tuesdays. They're about half price. Of course, as my wife liked to point out, just to grind my gears, uh, Tuesday is technically the third day of the week, but let's face it, nobody counts Sunday as the first day of the week. It is the day of rest. It is the day that we collect ourselves from the long weekend. International get shit done day. That's Sunday. Tuesday is the second day, and that's why we're the second day film podcast. That's why we're the Second Day Film Club, although currently there's only one member, because usually I just go to movies by myself on Tuesday. Uh, Mike, would you like to come to the movies with me on Tuesday sometime? You can join the club if you'd like. You know, you're already the co-host, so... We've got to do it when I'm not at work, but yeah, I would yeah. love to go see a movie with you. It's never happened, and the first time we do it, it's going to be awesome. We'll, we'll take photos, we'll do videos... It'll be an event. Live video. We Facebook Live. Saw a movie together. Facebook Live from the lobby. I say we go see some terrible movie just to just to make sure it's something awful right from the start. There are new Transformers coming out. Okay. <laughs> That's the one. We, we apologize for Champ. He's actually sick. Yeah. Shout out this man oh, doing a podcast yeah. while he's still sick. Yeah. Got the sniffles. Been fighting a cold. So if you hear me sniffling, sorry about that. Sorry if I sound like Grimace. My bad. Yeah, if you suddenly hear this like earthquake of a cough that yeah. just totally blasts your yeah. eardrums out. Yeah. To this. Totally That's apologize true. for that. But you know what? I fight for our listeners here. I'm going to play her. We have content to put out. We have to cover the Oscars. Let's talk about the so Oscars. let's do it. Coming up on today's show, as I just said, we're going to talk about the Oscars. A couple weeks ago, me and Mike watched them together. We put out some videos on Twitter, some reaction. Just going to have some quick uh, reaction, recap my awful picks. Um, and then we're going to talk about three films uh, that have come out recently. One of them is on Netflix. One of them uh, is in theater still. And one of them came out a while ago, but I recently saw it. It was one of Mike's films that he saw in the past year, so we're going to revisit that. January, February, traditionally a bit of a slow time at the theater. Um, there are some things in theaters that I want to see right now, um, but not in a huge rush to get to them. We'll get to them on a future show. So we're kind of filling in the gaps from things that kind of uh, we missed uh, over the last few months. Like the Facebook page at Second Day Film Podcast. Invite your friends. Follow us on Twitter at Second Day Film. You can listen to the old episodes on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, SoundCloud, um, and follow us on Instagram at the Second Day Film Podcast. Uh, Mike, anything else I'm missing here? Are you ready to get into it? Let's get into it. Okay, cool. The Oscars, the 92nd Academy Awards, uh, took place, uh, what was it, a couple weeks ago? A week, two weeks ago? Yeah, uh, one of the least watched Oscars of the last 20 years. Yeah, why do you think that was? I think that people kind of think the awards are not very, like, fair, that there's a lot of bias in how they pick people, that there's a lot of, like, probably behind-the-scenes corruption, who gets what. I know, but that, um, that I feel like that's been the case for a while, so why is it just now that people are like, okay, I'm not, this is the year I'm putting my foot down, do you think maybe it was the films they weren't interested in, or... Because it's, it's not like, there's been this stigma against award shows for a long time, it's not like mm -hmm. this is anything new, yeah. so... 
Maybe the internet. People, <laughs> people are actually all getting to hear each other talk about it, and it's just changing the perspective in a much sharper way than we expected. The Twitter trolls are alive and well, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Anyways, just going to touch on a few things we liked and disliked in a minute. We'll quickly touch on my picks. Uh, it didn't go well, Mike. It's uh, 11 out of 24. Uh, that's that's down from 13 out of 24 from last year. Um, and 18 out of 24 is what I got in 2018. So I'm, I'm heading in the wrong direction. The trajectory is going in the wrong way. Um, although I did get the ones wrong. Renee Zellweger did win for Judy over Charlize Theron. Florence Pugh did lose out to Laura Dern. And Missing Link did lose out to Toy Story 4. Those were three that I basically purposely picked wrong. So I should probably just stop doing that. Um, and my wife actually <clears throat> made a good suggestion that I'll just do two separate columns next year. The one that I want to win and the one that I actually think is going to win. That's I think great. that's probably yeah. a good way to, you know, both worlds can win there that way. Give yourself more work exactly. over this uh, award. Yeah. I know you hate the award shows. I know you do. Can you please just struggle through this segment for me? You had to yeah. have liked something about this segment. I liked uh, Bong Joon-ho winning big and Parasite winning big. That was awesome. Mm-hmm. That guy was great. I loved everything he said. He's the man. Yeah, for sure. I think I said, uh, after he won Best Director, I think I said, I'm starting to think Parasite might actually win Best Picture. Uh, it deserved it. And as it, it turned out, it did. It did. Yeah. I mean, I think it's cool. Um, I see that like since ever since it won, now it's like expanded to a bunch of theaters, and yeah. a lot more people are you know, going to see it, which is cool, yeah. although I hate that it's taking it winning Best Picture for people to go do that. Yeah. you got to get over the subtitle thing, people. You just do. It's mm-hmm. not... It's re- your brain will train itself once it's doing it. Um, so yeah, cool to see Parasite win. I, I picked 1917, but I had no problems with Parasite winning. Um, just some of the random things I liked. I thought uh, Steve Martin and Chris Rock's opening monologue was pretty funny. So there was no <laughs> there was no host this year, but they sort of served as the surrogate, uh, you know, opening monologue, ripping on people. Uh, I forget some of their jokes, but it was pretty funny, and they had some good chemistry. And I remember Mike, what happened? You were like. Well, Steve Martin, you'd rather have Steve Martin come on stage and rip on people, and all of a sudden Steve Martin appeared on stage. Did you have some inside info? It was as info? if I willed it into happening. Did you have some info, inside info there? Or? I did not. Oh. Sources? Colon? Did you? No? No. no. Nothing? Sorry. Okay. I, got, I, got, I got no jokes to make about that. I will say, though, uh, I was also happy that 1917 won for Best Visual Effects. Sad to see Endgame not get any Oscar. See, I had that in a dislike. I was mad what? that it didn't win for Best Visual Effects. I mean, that movie deserved <clears> at least one Oscar. What 1917 did was such a, you know, masterpiece of technical filmmaking. It deserved, I think that was a good win, too. Yeah. Um, what did you yeah. think of the musical performances? I, I oh, liked yeah. them for the most part. The Frozen thing was kind of cool where they had all the different voices of, uh, was it Elsa? Yeah. Yeah, they had all the different voices of Elsa singing the song. That was In really cool. In different languages. Yeah. And Mike's like, neat. it's all the, it's all the, uh... What did you say? It's all like the Scandinavian countries yeah. and then Spain shows up. It's all the main countries. <laughs> all the main languages. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that was funny. Uh, I liked the musical performances for the most part. <clears throat> Eminem showed up, which was completely random. Random, but fun. But also kind of cool for us here in Michigan. Uh, you know, I had the idea that since Elton John was also performing for the uh, Rocket Man, that they should just do like a do like an impromptu performance of Stan. Like they did, at the, they did at the 93 Grammys. That'd be, that'd be, that'd be wild. <laughs> yeah. I saw some people, like Billy Eichner, had a problem with Eminem uh, showing up because of his past history with, you know, homophobic lyrics and mm. risque stuff, which which I can understand, but I feel like Eminem's kind of changes, too. That was, like, over a decade ago, you know, since, yeah. when, since he had those lyrics. I mean... People change. Yeah. 
you know, I think it's like, come on. And and actually, that ninety three <clears throat> Grammys performance was supposed to kind of be Eminem and Elton John, sort of like burying the hatchet, so to speak. You know, they're so, supposed to be like, oh, look at us, we're coming together and we're doing this performance. Obviously, that didn't work for some people. I will say one thing I didn't like was it was way too long. Yeah, but you can but, say that every year. Three, yeah, three and a half hours usually. Uh, it, it went a half hour over the TV guide. Yeah, it's like as fun as it was to just have a random Eminem, like, you know, concert there. All of a sudden, it's like, yeah, but do we need to, like, let's keep going. Like, get through the movies. Like, this is. It was random. Yeah, like, it was random. It was completely out of nowhere. Yeah. That's for sure. Um, Selma Hayek, I think, had the funniest line of the night when. Uh, she was presenting with Oscar Isaac, and Aww, she said, that was cute. Yeah. I can now officially say I've held Oscar on stage as she was holding his <laughs> hand. <laughs> that was awesome. That was pretty funny. Uh, American Factory won Best Documentary, yes. which I successfully picked, mostly out of mm-hmm. luck, because it was the only one I had ever seen. And we're not going to do a full review of this thing, but Mike, you just recently watched American Factory, or did you not? Uh, no, to... I didn't get a chance to watch it yet, sorry. Mike did not I'll recently watch, watch American I'll watch Factory. watch it over the weekend, uh, and we can do it on an extra bit. Anyways... We don't need to do it on the next review. I'll just say it. Really good really good movie. Uh, focuses on sort of the culture clash between these Ohioans and Dayton um, and these Chinese workers that are coming over. I think the movie, it, while being really insightful, it also really reveals how dysfunctional the relationship between China and the U.S. can be. Uh, we just have completely different ways of looking at things. They think we're lazy because we don't work 12 hours a day. We think they're crazy because they do long, tedious, monotonous jobs for hours on end. Uh but it also, love it or hate our relationship with China, it shows how much we need each other uh, in today's global economy. It's a really fascinating look uh, inside um, the economics of the two countries working together. So I was glad to see American Factory win Best Documentary. I was pissed Toy Story 4 won for Best Animated Feature, mostly because of my love for Missing Link uh, and Leica, the studio, which I've touched on multiple times. Mike, you just saw Toy Story 4. Do you think it was worthy of uh, winning Best Animated Feature? It was the only one I saw of that group, so yeah. <laughs> Killer stuff today from Mike Nichols, folks. Uh, You're not going to get good stuff about about the Oscars from me. I'm sorry. Yeah, I well, don't have that much opinion or care about these awards. I think they're all not worth it. I understand. We have to touch on it. I understand. But American Factory team also said, go Buckeyes. That was the worst thing of the uh, night. Yeah. Uh, and Renee Zellweger, although I did win Best Actress, although I did just watch Judy... And I must say, she does all her own singing in that, portraying Judy Garland, and she was pretty damn good. So I will give her some credit. I will say that she is worthy of winning the award. I think I was mostly just salty because she beat out my girls, Charlize Theron and Scarlett Johansson. And I think you picked Joaquin Phoenix correctly, too, for Joker. Yeah, but that was obvious. Everyone knew that was going to happen. So, uh, anyways... That's our brief touch. That's my brief uh, rundown of the Oscars. I should say Mike hates the Oscars. Um... Maybe if Jar Jar showed up, he'd like it better. But Wow. Wow. <laughs> Anyways, we don't have to worry about it till next year, right, buddy? I know you're happy about that. I'm so happy we don't have to worry about Award it. Award season year. is in the history books. Thank God. <laughs> All right, we're going to move on to our first review of the day. And uh, Swifties, don't be too hard on Mike here. He's entitled to his opinion. Uh, it's the Netflix documentary, Taylor Swift, Miss Americana. Uh, just came out on January 31st on Netflix. The plot summary, a look at iconic pop artist Taylor Swift during a transformational transformational time in her life as she embraces her role as singer-songwriter and harnesses the full power of her voice. This film was directed by Lana Wilson and stars, well, Taylor Swift. Um, 
I got some things to say about this. I'm a Swifty from way back. Uh, I'm probably going to be biased. There was probably no way I wasn't going to enjoy this film. I'm a Swifty from back in her Tim McGraw days, her Tears on My Guitar, Blonde, Goody Two-Shoes, Country Girl. I don't know what it was. I just identified with her for some reason. We were both born in 1989. We've always been the same age. You know, I felt like I've kind of grown up with Taylor Swift, so I will defend her honor until my dying day. Uh, Mike, what did you think of this documentary? I thought it was really not that revealing. Like, for being a behind-the-scenes look, like, what did it really, like, reveal that was all that interesting or, you know, con like, like, you know, I don't even want to say controversial, but what did it actually shake up about how we think of Taylor Swift? It was very safe, and it was very, uh, it was very selected. I mean, I think you can tell that she show. definitely had an influence in what was going to be shown and what yeah. was going to be, how it was going to be cut and how it was going to be edited. She definitely had a role in the creative <clears> process. But I would argue there was some, some really cool scenes, and I thought she was really vulnerable in some parts of the movie when she was talking about her eating disorder or, you know, like the pressures of fame and how she needs to just stay off the internet sometimes or how she walks out of her house and it's surrounded by fans and she's like, I'm 100% aware that's not normal. Um, or how much it weighs that weight on her to make certain decisions. Or like when she sent up, broke, broke the mold to, uh, you know, get into politics and how nervous she was and talking with her management team about going through and doing that and what the pros and cons of doing that might be. I mean, I thought there was some interesting scenes. It was pretty much a formulaic documentary. I will agree with you on that. It wasn't doing anything... Um, you know, earth-shattering in terms of how it was presented. It was a pretty straightforward documentary with just the fly-on-the-wall technique. In some cases, you know, the interviews or talking to people around her. Um, but I thought there was... I thought she was actually really open and vulnerable and sort of showed her, her side um, like that. And it sort of reminded me of being a Taylor Swift fan from way back when, when she first started and she wasn't like this mega superstar... She used to do like this video blog where she would put up videos and just sort of talk to her fans. And it sort of reminded me of that uh, at times. Um, so you didn't, you didn't think anything was powerful <clears throat> that she was talking about at all? I think, I think what maybe threw me off was the way it started out with this whole obsession with, why don't people like me? I'm so likable. And then it went into this, uh, there was a line she said early on, like, that... Like, as she was growing up, like, I had the need to be thought of as mm -hmm. good. She said that repeatedly. Yeah. And that, to me, is a very interesting line. Mm -hmm. And it's a very different line of than someone saying, I, I, I had a need to be good. To be thought of as good is different than I had a need to be good. And, you know, I get that there was, like, a lot of pressure this put on her. I was, I, I was surprised, like, looking back at some of the stuff that happened with her, I was like, oh, wow, I can't believe she was that young during all of that. Right. Like that, like, the amount of pressure and intense, you know, scrutiny that that kid grew up under sucked. And I don't, like, I don't, you know, I'm, I feel bad for her for, she, for, the, for that. But, like, the whole idea of I have a need to be thought of as good, that's the, what we start with. And then we watch an entire documentary all about, well, why don't people think of me as good? And then all it is is just selected clips to try to humanize her and make you feel like she's good. Oh, look, she's standing up for this. Oh, and I don't care if no one likes it. I'm going to do it. 
Yeah, well, well, it made well, her more popular than ever. Well, everything, what, she's, who, everything she's doing in this is just essentially it's to make you sympathize and care about her and make you think of her as good. And it just felt a little... Maybe she didn't mean it that way, but it, it felt a little manipulative. It's kind of like... Okay, you know Jimmy Fallon is kind of notorious. People think that he fakes laugh a lot with his like guests or whatever on the show. Yeah. Um, it, every Everyone who's ever worked with him says in real life he's actually really nice. He's a very sweet guy. But when he does that, it just makes you feel like he's fake. I think Taylor Swift's probably a really nice person in real life. I obviously don't know her. I don't. I don't follow her, track her the way fans of hers do. But oh, she's an angel. Yeah, but like the way that was presented to me, that made me feel like that was really fake. Yeah, uh, the twi- the the Swifties are frantically searching the internet to find Mike at Mike's address, like at Aggie's house later. Um, oh. I can see how you could say that she sort of comes off as egotistical because. I mean, isn't that the kind of point of this documentary? Like, it is about Taylor Swift. I mean, she is the star. It's a, it's a, it's a movie about her life. So, the subject matter is inherently egotistical. It's about her, her struggles, her sort of uh, how the public eye sees her. That, I mean, that's because that, but that is kind of. I mean, her, mm-hmm. she did go through this sort of like change where she was this good girl persona and she was trying to be this perfect good country girl and she thought that that's what people expected of her and then you know she scrubbed her social media and did this whole thing and she came out with that you know ooh, look what you made me do you know like this whole sort of persona change to try and be like well i'm not this perfect person like yeah i'm dating a bunch of guys yeah i'm i drink yeah sometimes i do this i think that if anything she realized that she didn't have to be what people she didn't have to be that good girl all the time i mean i think that's kind of what the documentary showed to me is that she's just like screw this i don't really care what people think anymore yeah i i don't know it feels like she's just trying to have her cake and eat it too with everything like she doesn't really ever take responsibility for any of the things that she's experienced or any of the problems she's had i didn't i didn't really once hear her take a lot of responsibility for stuff and that i didn't didn't like that can you don't forget, this is a really sweet, perfect, nice girl who, like, most of her biggest songs are just her trashing on guys she's, she's dated. <laughs> yes. that, that's a good Don't girl be a right Taylor there. Swift ex. Like, rule number one. I don't know. I mean, girl, maybe they deserved it. I don't know. I don't know the guys. I don't know the relationship. But it does seem like, I don't know, she wasn't that good. <laughs> Can you imagine sending out an Instagram post, though, like when they show that scene when she finally decides to get political and make a political stand and they're just like all sitting there and she just like sends it and then just waiting for the shit show that like one post that you could send out could start. Like, it made me realize I don't want to be famous in 2020. Like with Twitter and social media where every idiot with a smartphone has an opinion, just open yourself up to so much yeah, that's criticism yeah. and outside noise. Like, I would not want to deal with that. And just because, like, you want to... Like, all she wants to do is just write, like, music and do songs. It's like, oh, yeah, here's some piece of art that I made. Enjoy. Please pay me for it. And it's like, well, now let's analyze everything she thinks about everything ever and see if she's an imperfect person. It's like... Well, that, that, that's a ridiculous level of scrutiny just for someone. Well, that's the danger when, when you're uh, someone in the public eye and you decide to go out and, and mm-hmm. step out into an arena like politics is as soon as you do it once, everyone wants your opinion on every little thing. Um, so, you know, it is a risk for a famous person to, to go out and put their opinions out there like that. Um, and I, th- I thought that, that was one of the more interesting parts of the documentary was seeing that build up and seeing what went into her decision to finally get into politics. And cause she even says like, when I grew up in country music, everyone told you in country music, keep your opinions to yourself. You know, it's notoriously, 
you know, country fans in a lot of cases are more conservative. If you're a liberal country artist, they might stop supporting you. Um, so I can see where that mentality would have come from maybe, you know, 10, 20 years ago. Um, so I, I thought it was interesting. Wasn't Mike's cup of tea? What kind of? I mean, it, it wasn't anything earth shattering. Like I said, it was a pretty standard documentary. But I thought it was an interesting peek behind the veil of the world that is Taylor Swift. I gave it a seven out of ten. What grade would you give it? Yeah, that's about right. B minus, C plus, somewhere in there. All right. So that's Miss Americana, Taylor Swift. Uh, it's on Netflix. You can check it out there. Okay, moving forward. As I said, uh, February, January, kind of a notoriously slow time at the theater. It's right after award season. Um, not usually getting a lot of blockbusters until summer either. Um, so we decided we dip back into a movie. Uh, that actually came out uh, way back in August of 2019 for its wide release after having some premieres at the film festivals. Um, it's a film called The Farewell. Um, it's directed by Lulu Wang and stars a uh, sweeping cast of mostly Chinese actors. Uh, Aquafina is going to be the most recognizable person here. Uh, I'm not going to pronounce the rest of them. I don't want to disrespect their names, but great cast here. There's a lot of good performances in this movie. Uh, the plot summary, a Chinese family discovers their grandmother has only a short while left to live and decide to keep her in the dark, scheduling a wedding to gather before she dies. Um, Mike, this was a really charming little film. It's one you saw a long time ago. I just saw it yesterday because I noticed it was on Amazon Prime and I remember you talking about it. Um, so what were sort of some of your first impressions when you first saw this movie? First impressions were that it's a really original idea. Um, like I've never seen a movie that kind of falls the idea of like, do we tell people if they're dying or not? That's a really like interesting concept. Um, you know, it's, it's taking us into a different country and a different culture. So there's a lot of educational aspect that I enjoyed in watching it. Um, and it, it just really made you think about some hard questions about death, which is, um, a really, you know, really powerful for a, a movie that's like a comedy drama. Because they do it in a very darkly funny way. Um, the one scene that like I was just busting out laughing at when um, the, the the father of uh, the son is giving this speech at the son's like like wedding that you know they're doing just for the mother, and he starts like thanking the mom, and he's realizing that like this is the big moment, and he he just is thanking his mother, and he starts like bawling at his son's wet like you know mock wedding or whatever, and it's so like dark and funny and. And sad all at the same time. Um, I love how this movie was able to like you know walk all those very fine lines mm -hmm. and deal with some really tough questions in a very original way. Yeah, I found the film extremely enlightening and insightful to how uh, the Chinese culture deals with death mm -hmm. differently than we do in America. Yeah. It was sort of a good uh, lesson. It definitely taught me something. Um, you know, and, and they touch on that in the movie because Aquafina is mo is pretty much an American. She's, right. She has the Chinese roots, but she's basically raised in American culture. And she doesn't even understand what's going on. And her family has to constantly explain, you know, the differences between Eastern culture or Chinese culture. Like, um, and I can kind of relate to Aquafina in that way. It's almost like Aquafina was like a surrogate for the audience because... Mm -hmm. When I'm watching this, at least at the start of the movie, I'm like, this is like a sick joke. Is this really the best way to go about this? Yeah. Like, would you really do this to an elderly family member? And I think at the start of it, I have an entire issue with the premise of the film. But maybe that's because I'm American. 
and they sort of talk about that. You know, like this would be wouldn't be normal in America, but in in like an Eastern culture, they I think they call it they're more accepting of doing this. You know, the doctors straight up lie. They I think they call it like collectivism, where uh, I think her uncle tells them that you know here we all share the burden, where in America it's all on that one person. Um, so I really loved how this film dealt with the topic of death through the lens of Chinese culture. So mm-hmm. it's very specific in that way. But the themes of loss and dealing with the death of a loved one, those are universal. Everyone can relate <coughs> to that, those feelings and that story. And this film was great how they went about it. And what a crazy reveal at the end, too, that I think it was like six years after yeah. she was diagnosed with cancer, like that lady is actually still alive. Right, yeah. This movie is based on Lulu Wang's, partly based on Lulu Wang's experiences um, in real life. Yeah, This American Life did, a, I think, an episode on it, if anyone mm-hmm. wants to check that out. But um, but the ending, yeah. the ending, so yeah, that was kind of a curveball. And that made me too wonder, well, are they going to show her this movie? Will people, like, will right. her friends and stuff? Like, I have a feeling know, she's probably... How far probably does this go over... where the whole world knows this woman's diagnosis except for her? Like, I have a feeling point... she probably knows by now that oh, she has man. cancer. Um, but So the ending, I, I thought, was a little bit of a letdown actually to me when it was sweet you know it was sweet they have their goodbyes and they all say goodbye and then there's this whole like sad montage of aquafina walking around and then she does like the kerpow like the karate or the yoga or whatever that her grandma taught her and then the film just kind of ends what do you what do you think they were going with that like what was sort of supposed to be the like what, what, what i feel like they were trying to leave us with something there but what were they going for it's been a while since i've seen it but i think if i remember that scene that you're talking about, I think it was the idea that she has, um, that Billy Aquafina's character, um, who's, who, who's mostly culturally American, unlike, um, her, you know, Chinese, um, like older family. And she has relatives that live in Japan too. Yeah. Adding to I, the... I think the idea is that she's now accepted their culture and carries it on with her now in mm-hmm. her own practice of life. That's kind of what I think they were going over that. She, she was able to like learn, from her and now she's a she's proud of her heritage. That makes like. sense. Like sort of that she's she's gonna use her grandma's energy, you know, to continue attacking life and she's yeah. gonna in her memory at that but she doesn't know that she's gonna survive at yeah. that point. You know, she's gonna use what she taught her and that is ultimately um what the core of this movie is about. You know, it's mm-hmm. about I love the performances from both the grandma, um who, I want to say her name, is played by Xu Zhen Zhao. That's the best I got there. Uh, And Aquafina. Their performances are fantastic. And going back to that relating thing, almost everyone can relate to that grandparent-grandchild relationship. I mean, to different degrees. Um, But grandparents, they just have so much knowledge and experience. Mm -hmm. Um, And losing them is ultimately something everyone has to come to terms with. You know, and when it happens, you are losing a part of your family's history. You're losing a section of your family's legacy. Because as many things as they do tell you when they're here, and there will always be some memories of them and experiences with them, when they go, some things are lost forever. You ultimately don't get to know everything. So this film was a really good reminder to just spend as much time as you can with your loved ones, especially the ones who are growing older, because once they're gone, they're gone. Yeah, And I thought this movie was a really fantastic reminder of soak up everything you can from your older family members because you the only way that their legacy continues is through you, basically. 
yeah, there's a lot of depth that you'll experience while watching this movie, and hopefully it will make you, you know, want to reach out if you still... Uh, unfortunately, all my grandparents are passed, and it, the, watching the movie did make me miss them, but if you've still got grandparents or, you know, parents who are older, like, maybe this is a, a movie that can offer you a chance to think about reaching out. Mm-hmm. For sure. I, loved, I give it an A-. minus. Yeah, I gave... I ended up giving it a 7.5 out of 10, uh, so... Uh, I liked it. I liked it a lot. Um, the the movie has some comedic elements to it. It's not all you know. I don't want to make it seem like it's just this big dark uh, thing because there actually is some comedy to the idea that she's the only one who doesn't know that she's dying. So you get these juxtapositions of everyone feeling sad but trying to put on a front of happiness, and the grandma not understanding what's going on. You know, like she keeps telling everyone like Aquafina that they don't look good and it must be the jet lag or. When she's climbing the stairs and she she's like, I always climb these stairs. That's how I stay good and healthy. And Aquafina's just like, oh, God. Like, <laughs> the grandma thinks everyone else is sick. She's concerned, like, about everyone else. She's worrying about there being crab and not lobster at the wedding. And everyone's like, Grandma, you're dying. Like, don't get worked up over something like this. This movie made me a big fan of Aquafina. Because I'd seen her in um, Crazy Rich Asians, and I thought she was really funny in that. And then to see her in this, where she plays a very different type of character. And I was like, man, she's got some range. And she's really... She's really talented. I, I really like her. Yeah. Uh, I had seen her in Crazy Rich Asians, and I saw her in um, the Oceans, Oceans remake with all the women. And what was it? Oceans. Oceans 8. Oceans 8. Yeah. And uh, I didn't love her in that. She came off as kind of corny to me. Um, so I, I hadn't really warmed up to her, but this movie made me warm up to her a lot more. She, she really played this role um, fantastic because you can tell that she's hurting the whole movie. You know, and she's trying to put on this front. And of all the characters, because she has this American reaction to it of this is death, this is sad, how can you all do this? It's really relatable. You can really see her pain in the performance. And she's trying to put on this front. And she was nominated for best uh, at the Golden Globes for best performance. She didn't get any love at the Academy Awards. And also this movie didn't get any love in the foreign language film category at the Oscars, which I was a bit surprised by. I feel like this easily could have been nominated in the best foreign language film for sure. I mean, I, I've only seen... Um, you know, Parasite. I didn't. I haven't seen the other ones, so I'm sure they're exceptional films as well. But um, after watching this, I'm a bit surprised that one didn't garner uh, a nomination. Mm. Um, well, I guess the, the awards aren't perfect, are they? <laughs> Mm. What do you hate more, Mike? Taylor Swift or the Academy Awards? <laughs> Everything now is going to be like, what do you hate more, Mike? Star Wars or the Academy can you Awards? Give me your hate Taylor po- Swift. Can you give me your hate power rankings from th- Star Wars, Taylor Swift, and the Academy Awards? I hate the 2018 Robin Hood movie the most. <laughs> Poor Taron Edgerton. Hey. You didn't deserve that, buddy. You did not deserve that movie. You're better than that. Let's let's not go back to that. I think we spent 20 minutes of our lives. They ruined Will Scarlet. They changed everything. Okay, I'll stop. Okay. That's uh, The Farewell, uh, a movie that me and Mike both really liked. Like I said, it's on Amazon Prime. Uh, I'm sure it's out on DVD and digital as well. Uh, check it out. I think it'll. it's really thought-provoking, really emotional film that I think everyone will relate to. Okay, and last but not least, today on the February 20th episode of the Second Day Film Podcast is a little movie called Little Women. It's directed and written by Greta Gerwig, based on the classic novel by Louisa May Alcott. Uh, this film stars an ensemble cast led by Saoirse Ronan, Emma Watson, Florence Pugh, Eliza Scanlon, Laura Dern, Timothy Chalamet, Tracy Letts, Bob Odenkirk, um, Meryl Streep, uh, and Chris Cooper. 
The plot summary. Joe March reflects back and forth on her life, telling the beloved story of the March sisters, four young women each determined to live life on their own terms. This is Greta Gerwig's follow-up to uh, her smash hit successful film Lady Bird, also starring uh, Saoirse Ronan. Yeah, it's a movie that I really liked quite a bit. In fact, I it finished just off my uh, top films of the decade list uh, that we did a couple episodes ago. It's a very good movie. Um, this is one of several adaptations of Little Women, um, nominated for several Academy Awards, winning Best Costume Design, which I thought it was well-deserved for, and it was one of them that I picked correctly. Yay. Um, but really good film here, um, really entertaining to watch. Uh, Mike, I know you like this one quite a bit, so what was your favorite thing about Little Women? Oh, man. There's... Well, other than Emma Watson, of course, <laughs> who, who is perfect. Um, wow. But uh, Hermione fan, huh? Oh, yeah. Emma Watson's my celebrity crush. And if you're listening, Emma, <laughs> just know I thought you were great in this movie. Wow. Um, this movie, let, let's talk about all the movies that we have had problems with. And we've been very specific about the writing, the way characters are developed. You know, oh, this movie, it doesn't like... It gives the characters uninteresting things to do. It like doesn't draw them out as interesting characters. We don't know what their struggles are. Like characters just follow plot lines. Like this movie does everything about building characters right. It's so well done. It's so well written. And the fact that Greta Gerwig, uh, frankly, did not get like nominated for an Oscar for um, uh, directing is kind of bullshit, I think, because she had a genius vision on how to take a movie that we've all, like, we've all seen at least probably one or two versions of this mo- of this book. Like, everyone knows Little Women. Everyone kind of knows that, I mean, spoilers. Not but, me, like, actually. Yeah. I, I, this is my first exposure to Little really? Women. Really? You actually. never saw, like, the... the never read the book, Ryder, and I never or... saw it, no? No? So... Oh. So I've seen, like, the one Order. I've seen the Catherine Hepburn one. I, I have read the book a very, very long time ago when I was a kid. And, like, you know, everyone kind of knows that Beth dies. Everyone knows that Lori and uh, Joe don't end up together. And yet she d- she she redid this story in such a way where she changed up the timelines um, to have all those different plot points hit emotional peaks in a really smart and really good storytelling way. Um, I love, I love uh, Greta Gerwig for the way that she not only adapted this um amazing book into a really good screenplay but also the way she chose to direct it with those um like time lapses that was really smart yeah so Greta Gerwig nominated for best adapted screenplay and I agree with what you're saying it it is a master class in character development and screenwriting in the way that it's weaved together this web is weaved together in the different timelines yeah but I will say as someone who hasn't read the books or seen any of the other film adaptations I did find the nonlinear plot to be a little bit confusing and distracting at first. Oh, okay. Because it, it's a little bit hard to be like, oh, okay, this is way before, you know, because we start in the very beginning when she's in the flat and she's writing the book and yeah, she's talking to the right, guy that yeah. she, you know, likes or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then we flash way back in time and we're flashing back and forth. Most of it is done without any reference to a time jump. You know, it's very fluid and natural in the way it happens. And you have these four different stories of the girls sort of interweaving together. So for someone with no background, it did take it did kind of catch me off guard a little bit at the start. That being said, once you understand what's going on, uh, it definitely is um, pretty interesting. And, and I like what you said, how all of the nerves sort of crescendo and meet in the middle, right, at the same time. So you get these character developments that sort of explode uh, all at the same time. 
Uh, as I said, one for best costume design. I thought it was really well-deserved, super colorful, all their dresses. I also thought the set design was fantastic in this, the sort of autumn countryside oh. of of New England and yeah. the old farmhouses and the churches. and Some of the shots look like they could be paintings. They're absolutely yeah. gorgeous. It's almost like a painting mm -hmm. came to life. Yeah, yeah, really good cinematography. There were certain... I, I watched it with my sister, and there was certain moments throughout the movie. I just leaned over and was like... That's gorgeous. That yeah. looks so nice. That's a great shot. Like, yeah. I was I was blown away by how beautiful this movie was to look at. Yeah, it's um, it's a colorful, fun, delightful story. I mean, it really is. Uh, I mean, other than the death, that's obviously a low point. But uh, uh, <laughs> oops. <laughs> other than that, though, yeah. you know, it's a pretty easily digestible film, um, and it's an important film, I think, uh, to tell, especially in twenty twenty, considering. Um, you know, the things that are still going on now, you know, yeah. women still are trying to, you know, fight for equal rights in a lot of ways and trying to find their place in, in society in a lot of ways. And this movie definitely speaks to that. And it did a really good job, too, of like making them real characters and like real women with real issues instead of sometimes like I think people try to. Uh, especially when they're writing about like issues of uh, social concern and social justice, they try to like turn a character into like. A little lesson point versus let them be a full breathing complex human being that's kind of and what bombshell did, did. that's did kind of what i was trying to imply when oh, i reviewed okay. bombshell a couple yeah. weeks ago that's yeah. kind of what i was talking about but yeah keep going like all these characters are like they're they're real breathing like characters who are complicated and, and sometimes flawed mm -hmm. in in very real human ways not like in very convenient like little preachy ways yeah like I, they're all they're real good like well-written characters and, and all the actors did amazing at, at, at like portraying them really, really sad. Now that I've seen it, that Florence Pugh, uh, didn't get like mm -hmm. Oscar love. Cause she stole every scene she was in and she kind of like redeemed the character that a lot of people had kind of written off as like, Oh, Amy's the youngest and kind of the brat. Yeah. And she really did a good job of like making her a fully realized, interesting person. Who's, more than just someone who makes a couple of bad choices when she's a kid. She know? made she was the one who I think I said when we talked about she was the one who drew the most consistent laughs yeah. in the theater. Sir Sharonin's good. She's her classic good self. And I also really like Chris Cooper as Laurie's yeah. grandfather. He was kind of a standout for me too. Going back to what you're talking about with that the dynamic women roles, this film does a good job exploring sort of the many facets of what it sort of means to be a woman. We're not women. Yeah. I'm not trying to act like I'm a woman here. Um, but Obviously, it's a main plot thread and theme that goes throughout this, and that women of this era when this book was written, which was incredibly progressive at the time, um, is that they want to be seen as more than homemakers or wives or teachers. You know, all the girls have aspirations of being a writer or a painter or a musician or an actress. And I like that, you know, it obviously portrays them in that way, but there's also this thread, uh, mostly through Emma Watson's character of Meg, who still really values traditional things like getting married and raising a family and keeping a home. And I think she has a line in the movie that's like, just because my goals are different doesn't make them less important. So I like yeah. that we get so many different angles of the female existence of this time period yeah, and definitely. how they all come together to form a dynamic, fully realized example of how powerful like a female can be. Yeah. And how they form like a country of women, mm -hmm. like, that the, like the experience is not just one type of narrative it's all these different stories of of what that looks like in that time period it, it was a it was a really really well done um piece of storytelling i was a little bit surprised uh like it is a good script but i did feel like greta gerwig played it pretty close to the vest in terms of like like 
I haven't read the book, but my wife has, and she just finished it before she saw the movie. And she said a lot of the lines literally come straight from the book. So I, yeah. I was a little bit yeah. surprised, like especially with the knowledge of how she approached Lady Bird, which mm-hmm. obviously much different subject matter, but they are both stories about a girl trying to find their place in the world. Yeah. And Lady Bird was like this comedic, you know, snappy, yeah. like her and Laurie Metcalf going yeah. back and forth. And, and once again, Saoirse Ronan and Timothy Chalamet will not get together. Yeah, and yeah. this story too. Yeah. They hate each other. They hate each other more than Mike hates Taylor Swift. It's like they will oh. not deal with each other. But it's but it's but what I'm trying to say is, it just felt like this was a pretty more more of just like she showed her screenwriting talents that if she does need to not rely on the comedy, there's comedy in this, but oh, yeah. she doesn't need to rely on the comedy and the clever witty banter to, you know, have a really good script. If anything, that that's actually a testament in some ways to Louisa May Alcott. Like, yeah. how great of a writer she was and how timeless and relevant her, her words still are. Um, 1868 is when yeah. this movie... This, that's crazy to think that a movie... I mean, that's the Civil War. <laughs> Just yeah. after, I mean, right? Yeah. yeah, the dad's in the... Yeah, he's yeah. in the Civil War as a Union chaplain. Right. And th- um, wasn't this kind of written based off her life? Yeah, I didn't realize that until I was like doing some notes for this podcast that Little Little Women is as a book is very very much based on her and her three sisters. Uh, Louisa May Alcott was like she basically was Joe. She had an older sister than her and then two younger sisters. The the youngest sister did kind of become an artist like Amy. They had the other sister who died I think when she was 22, who was Beth essentially and uh yeah, she really like Little Women's story is actually in some ways Louisa May Alcott's story, which they also did a really good job of doing that with Joe. Like Joe is telling the story, and um, I oh one thing I I we should we should touch on because we're both writers. I loved the way they portrayed writing in this, mm-hmm. like the way they really go into Joe's experience as a writer. Like you know sitting there like writing the way she has the ink on her hand and like the way she lays out all the pages and. Throws pages away. Yeah, (laughs) trying to get published. Like they did a really, really good job of showing like how writers um, think of their ideas and and the inspiration they have. Uh, Tracy Letts is just like the dick publisher. He's not really a dick, but he's just kind of like the a realist. He's a a little bit of a dick. Yeah, but he's 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 what you would expect from that time period. He's a realist businessman who's like. Make sure the woman's married by the end. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we'll sell it for 20 shillings. So like, that was actually a good meta thing they put in there to show kind of wh- how Louisa May Alcott kind of struggles. I don't. I think that is actually a true story that Louisa May Alcott did not have. She did not want Joe to get married to anyone and that the publishers kind of forced her to throw something in there. So like, that fine. Was, so that was a good little kind of nod to, hey, like that was teaching you something about yeah. the actual process of this book itself that it's based well, on. It's also kind really of respected its book. It's also kind of meta though because Joe is basically Louisa May Alcott. Yeah, she She's was, basically yeah. writing her own story and we have the knowledge of that so when we're watching it we can see her chasing after the you know the guy, and then we. Yeah. So she's like, okay, whatever. She can marry him. I don't care. You know, yeah. it's, maybe that's why she was willing to bend a little bit because she's like, oh, I kind of do like this guy. You know. Yeah. Um, there were some good lines <coughs> in this movie. I remember good dialogue. <clears throat> Sorry for my coughing. I sound like Oscar the Grouch now. Uh, you said just your grouch. Yeah. You said <laughs> you said something when we were watching the Oscars that you didn't like Timothy Timothy Chalamet as Laurie. Why was that? Um. Is it because you just hate him? You're hating him this year. Are you mad because he didn't say, you would expect a speech of me? (laughs) (laughs) 
Make it England! Make it England! Oh, that's not his fault. That was that was a poorly written adaptation of Henry V. Um, no, I think he's fine. I really liked him in Lady Bird. I saw him in something else. I don't remember what it was, but I liked him in that, too. Uh, yeah, the his king was disappointed. Call Me By Your Name, wasn't that him? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's him. Oh, I am a beautiful boy. Um, but yeah, no, uh, I was disappointed in the king. I've made no bones about it. We don't need to talk um, about the king. Talk about why you didn't like him in this. But <laughs> I don't know. I just felt like at the end of the day, Laurie wasn't that interesting. Like he, like there was like, I don't know. He this, just didn't he, have any kind of he, he might interesting not. personality. Like what, what does Laurie want? And yeah, I know the character is obviously struggling with what he wants to do, but that, I don't know. He just didn't have... He didn't have he, enough chutzpah. He didn't have enough, like, gumption to be desirable, I didn't feel. Yeah, well, he might not be uh, convincing or interesting, but he's definitely lucky to grow up in a house next to four ladies, that's for sure. Like, talk yeah. about putting him right on your doorstep That there, guy Marty. grew up next to Florence Pugh, Emma Watson, <laughs> and Saoirse Ronan. Lucky. And Bob Drake. Odenkirk. Yeah. Oh. How great, how great uh, is that? Don't forget... Laura Dern, Academy Award winner. Oh, yeah, never mind. Uh, she was She's married. Tall. Yeah, She's married. that's true. But, She's off uh, limits, Laurie. You can't go but, after uh, her. Oh, yeah. I thought uh, Bob Odenkirk, as much as I love him, he pulled me out of the movie the second I saw him. He walked in with those sideburns, and I was like, okay. What's Saul doing here? Okay. <laughs> this is just, this is weird. He did he did fine, but it, it pulled me out seeing Bob Odenkirk. In and Meryl Street was funny. Oh, as, she was great. As, as yeah. like this she prudish old lady. Yes, but I'm rich. That was great. Yeah, she was awesome. <laughs> Yeah, great performances across the board, really. I mean, really charming movie. Um, I don't think I liked it quite as much as Mike did. I gave it a 7.5 out of 10. I liked it. A couple people yelled at me when I put my definitive rankings. They're like, Little Women needs to be higher. I'm like, sorry, guys. I do my rankings. That's how I do it. You want to put it higher? That's fine. We can disagree. There were just a lot of good movies that I liked more than it this year. What letter grade would you give it? A+. So Mike really liked it. I did. Would Would it have made your top 10 list this year, for sure? Top ten of 2019. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would have been top three. I'd have to look at. Uh, let's see, Avengers Endgame, Parasite, Parasite, 1917. It beat out. It beat out 1917 a little bit for me because huh? I, I didn't really care that much about the characters in 1917. Yeah, we kind of they talked like five times in the whole movie. We so. kind of disagreed a little bit. It's a great movie, and they did, they all did a great job. I just didn't care. I did not care about those two guys the way I cared about Joe and Beth and uh, Amy and. Meg. You just Emma love Emma Watson. What's not to love about Emma Watson? <laughs> Nothing at all, Mike. Nothing at all. Did I if only t- Harry felt that way. Did I okay. ever tell you that my friends tried to ask Emma Watson out on a date for me? Oh, well, did, how did that work out? <laughs> have I never told you the story? If only Emma Watson knew 2020, Mike, then maybe you'd have a chance. <laughs> so, should I even Okay, get we're going down shit? the rabbit hole. No, we don't, have to, we don't have to tell the story. <laughs> Maybe next time. Maybe ne- next coming time. up on the next episode, next, Michael next tell Emma us about Watson. his failed attempts to court Hermione Granger. I had no I had no part in it. They did this as a surprise. <laughs> like, I had no idea they were going to do this. Okay, I can't wait to hear all about it. My voice yeah. is going. I know. We so, should go. Yeah, so I got to go. go. Appreciate you all for listening. Yeah, That's all we you. got for you here today. The Oscars are in the rear view, much to Mike's enjoyment. Uh, we'll move forward into 2020 now. Lots of new movies coming out. Uh, I'm going to go see Birds of Prey next week, and Mike has already told me he has no interest in seeing that, but I'll ne- go see it. I never Harley saw Quinn. Suicide Squad, guys. Sorry. Yeah, I, don't, uh, I don't know that I'd be the right person to review it. So I'm going to go check that out. We'll have some more for you. Um, like us on Facebook at the Second Day Film Podcast. Invite your friends to like the page if you like what you're seeing, if you know they like film. Um, if you want to come on the podcast... 
hang out with us, do a show. We're always open to guests. Uh, listen to our episodes on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Apple Podcasts. Uh, appreciate everyone for listening. Mike, thanks for uh, being here. Hope you don't get sick. Uh, yeah. But until next time, we'll see you at the movies. <laughs>